0: We are CEOs, executives, educators, and professionals from all sectors of society who support the global expansion of betterment in the world through Joy and Joyly. I'm your host, Cheryl Lynn, founder of the Chair of Joy Experience. Together, we have developed the World Council of Joy, and our council invites CEOs and innovators from impactful organizations to the Joyly podcast. We showcase how generous, bold and fully engaged they are in their work and what a culture of joy is to them. Hello again, this is Sherilyn from Joyly Studios, traveling around the country with this chair in my van. And we are visiting major cities across the country, just finished in Los Angeles, uh, now in Las Vegas and on our way to Denver. Today on our show, we have Dr. Jeffrey McGee with a bio as long as you can imagine. So we've had many conversations, Dr. Jeff. So why don't you just give our audience a bit of a background and a little bit about how we connected?
1: Appreciate that. So I'm a farm boy from Colorado that escaped to go to college in Kansas and spent some time really just in Midwest USA, Kansas, Oklahoma, had a large training company that I was a part of in uh, Bozeman, Montana, sold my interest in that. And now I am rooted in Las Vegas, our paths crossed. Wow, many years ago in uh, kind of working in the space of entrepreneurial development with startup businesses and business leaders and owners. Uh, where I was uh, kind of an either the opening or a closing keynote speaker at the at that series for many, many years. So it's fun to be back.
0: So COVID has done uh, been impactful for many. And um, I remember when we talked originally, you were like, this is our opportunity to show up and make a difference. So tell me about what's changed and what you've been doing differently, if anything.
1: Great question. You know, in, in business, so let's context my comments for our viewers, in business about every 10 years, 15 at the outside, but about every 10 years in business, something substantial happens on a global basis. And it really is a game changer to how everything is done professionally. Now, that may be a direct bullseye impact in your zip code where you live. It might kind of trickle out and not be as impactful in others, but about every decade. So if you just look at the last 20 years, to speak to your question, of COVID, uh, the people that recognize this trend are always positioned to survive worst case scenario, but quite likely are always positioned to thrive and leverage these challenge points and do so in a in a professional, courteous, with dignity sort of way. We're not talking about leverage and taking advantage of someone and toss the people under the bus. So in 2000, basically, that, the decade started with 9-11, and that was a major trajectory change. Um, As you indicated at the top of this uh, program, you're, you know, in Las Vegas as we record this. And the same thing happened in 9-11 in in the global market space that's happening right now. People didn't really want to travel or it was hard to travel or they didn't travel. Hospitality industry absolutely got knocked on its butt. That trickled through lots of other, you know, secondary industries that support that. And so then, again, we may have a debate around 8-9-10. Was again, a major uh, residential real estate recession crisis? That was a recalibrator. But COVID really, if people were not paying attention in the past, COVID really was the, the reset button on not just life in general, and we can go there, but on business. Because, again, example, uh, before before COVID, if you talk to business leaders about, in essence, uh, virtual workers, people working remotely, it was really an isolated conversation as to where that might take place. But most leaders would have said, "Nope, not going there. Can't do that. It's going to mess up our business culture. Well, within about four or five months into COVID in 2020, pretty much all businesses were being shut down or shut down. So how did you stay operationally was virtual. And so it really gave people a new way of looking at things. And so how do you keep your your sense of community when people are working in a hybrid environment? Some, you know, back in the office, as they would say, or some virtually uh, those elements. So that's my first response is that COVID really for a lot of us, should not have caught us off guard. Forget the medical side, forget the political side, but just as a life or a business, uh, you know, calibrator, it shouldn't have have knocked anyone on their butt. So everyone who got in trouble, so here's my, you know, management leadership kind of coaching perspective, anyone that was in trouble in in 2020, that should be a huge wake-up call that you either were lazy, you were dumb, a lot of dumb people, but it's not polite to say that, or you were in a position well beyond what you really should have been in and you didn't know how to pivot, there's your buzzword, mine, how to change trajectory. For me and 100% of my clients globally and across the USA, 2020 was one of their best economic years in a long time and Mm -hmm. in several businesses, it was their best year ever. So what does that mean? It means that they had the right human capital in their organization, that's where I live. They had the right systems and structures and procedures and processes in play to be able to recognize, hey, what's not working? How do we adjust that? How do we reconfigure? How do we come together? How do we look at these new challenges and not give up? And a lot of people, they gave up. And what's more unfortunate to it, and I'll turn it back to you, Cheryl, is that this whole COVID issue has allowed people to to become lazier. You know, when the government pays you to stay home when you are completely healthy to work and you choose to take that handout versus work, That changes the psychology of individuals, of peoples, of workers, of employers. If you're a parent, newsflash, you're sending a powerful message to the people around you, those children, that, hey, you know, life is about taking, not giving. Life is about not showing up and someone's still going to take care of you. And I know those comments are a little bit unpopular, but they're critically important because I've got a lot of clients right now that are having a hard time hiring people to do jobs that are being paid good money for that job. Because people were saying, "Well, I can just stay home and I, and I can equal basic. I can make basically the same." So, COVID has been a game changer on lots of levels. Point, one. point two, If you're paying attention, it wasn't a game changer at all. And point three, if you were successful before COVID, you should have been successful during COVID. And if you weren't successful during COVID, then guess what? You sucked before COVID.
0: <laughs> what about you? I have questions in there, but just what about you? Have you been Have you been moving around? Are you staying still? Are you been- Are you
1: We've been very fortunate. So our business during COVID was was a complete game changer in terms of businesses doing what they needed to do or couldn't do, um, businesses that had questions or challenges or problems. So for us during COVID, um, our again, let's let's give a couple of examples. So one adjusting and going on video platforms, whether it's Microsoft Teams or Skype or, or Zoom or any of those platforms, I was already well into that as a deliverable and distribution system for our training and leadership development and coaching. So when COVID came, it was not a, a readjustment I needed to make. I was already there. So working with my clients in terms of vice I was bringing value to them before COVID, then I knew I was going to be able to bring value, if not more value during COVID, So we just instantly changed and went to the video platforms. I mean, we're doing four, five, six, seven, eight hour day long leadership development training programs before COVID. And all of our clients just instantly adjusted. We did it to the video platforms with 20, 30, 40, 50 people on at one time and just made it very engaging and developmental. And key executives actually said, wow, this was equal, if not actually more engaging and effective on video platform than I ever would have expected. So for us, business actually substantially increased. And then COVID made it obvious of other talent development needs our clients needed. So we created additional programs for delivery as well.
0: Well, good for you, congratulations. And I feel like a lot of the people that I've been interviewing around the country have been in all facets of that. Um, I think that the human capital kind of where we both play is what's key to the success of everyone and including- Absolutely, Cheryl. Yeah. And so what I brought you on the show today Jeff Dr Jeff is I wanted to get some um, t- discussion or some 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 vibration around who you are as an individual when it comes to joy so we're carrying through um, not only joy I mean that's a great word we want people to be you know focused on what's important to them but I think when a company focuses on joy what's possible as far as global expansion life expansion I had one CEO say to me, if, if our company just increased our, our levels or our vibrations of joy by just 1%, there are not enough zeros at the end of the dollar sign. So I'm curious who you are about that and also what you teach about that.
1: It's a great, I mean, that's a great question. There actually is is lots uh, of information. There's substantial bodies of research and data out there that shows uh, in the workplace, when people enjoy what they're doing, productivity goes up, profitability goes up. When people enjoy coming to work and being around the people they work with, or doing whatever it is that they get to do, whether it's from an introvert or an extrovert perspective, job uh, productivity and profitability go, goes up. So let's let's un- let's unpack that. One, uh, again, playing off of you know your your branded word joyfully and joyfully. Uh, again, when people are happy, several things happen. One, it becomes a retention tool. So, again, there's a body of research that says, let's just use technical workers, blue-collar labor workers, again, whatever labels you want to put on them, don't get wrapped around my labels. But we got white-collar and blue-collar technician, whatever you want to phrase it. But blue-collar, there's a body of research that says the financial costs attached to me losing uh, an employee that's in mid-level management leadership, in mid-level practitioner role, that they've been here for a couple of years, they're very, you know, a subject matter expert etc is between 2.5 and and four times your annual paycheck so i'm not good at math so let's say we lose someone's fifty thousand dollars a year uh, again, that could be upwards of 150 dollars to $200,000 uh, expense or investment or loss, however you want to phrase it, to the organization or business. So given that, one, if people enjoy what they're doing, you're going to have much greater retention. People are not going to be thinking about leaving all the time. Plus, if people feel valued, feel appreciated, feel involved, feel engaged, their views count, they're involved in critical decision-making at whatever level in an organization or in their workspace, then... That, that's typically the top four or five reasons that the Society of HR Management says someone leaves a business: uh, not being able to get along with a coworker, not being able to get along with my supervisor. I mean, money as a reason why you lose your employ- leave your employer, is always on the list, but it's always like number five, six, seven, or eight. So again, back to you know, joy, abundance, happiness, helpfulness, enjoying what you're doing—any way you want to phrase it—critically um, important. What what I do around that, and again, a lot of other ways you can look at it. Let's use the word culture. That's another you know, catchword we use in society today. If your culture embraces uh, being more productive, uh, engagement of people, making this an enjoyable place to be, it is going to then unleash creative juices. You'll be more creative. You'll have people that are willing to try new things, whether you call it being more of a risk taker or not. Um, last way I would answer this question in, in one of the models I use with my clients that speaks very specifically to your question. So for our viewers right now, here's a $100,000 leadership lesson. If you you think of a circle on a sheet of paper, and at 12 o'clock, you were to write the word ownership. And at three o'clock, you write the word victory. At six o'clock, you're going to write the word motivation. And nine o'clock, you're going to write the word passion. So you have ownership, victory, motivation, passion. The fixation from an employee standpoint or from an employer standpoint or even a parenting standpoint is we're always kind of pointing our finger figuratively or literally at that word at the top of the circle of ownership. Do this. Don't do that. Pick up this. Take care of that. Why isn't anyone taking care of the customer? Why is no one working late? Why do people not come in early? Why aren't people? So we're always fixated on that ownership in essence, you know, doing your job, not doing your job. And the more that we fixate on that word ownership, what I've recognized, the harder you fixate on it, you actually have a conundrum and a paradigm flip where the opposite happens. It's that old adage, when the cat's away, the mice will play. Well, when the cat's there, everyone's going to fixate on ownership. As soon as you leave, do you still stay fixated on ownership or or do you, in essence, abdicate? So what I started recognizing is if we take that word ownership and draw an arrow backwards to nine o'clock where the word passion is, here are the two questions to answer, which then speaks to your question. If if you're listening right now, write down the word do, D-O, and write down the word people. Those are the two most powerful psychological questions I've learned from a performance psychology standpoint to speak to this question. So so example, if you get a chance to do what you like to do, then does that create passion or take away passion? Because we're fixating on that word passion. Well, it creates passion, people. When you get to interact around the people you love to be around, does that create passion or take away? So when you draw the circle of those four words in in my training programs and in my books, I have arrows going in clockwise order, no number one on the page. So it's kind of figured out where do I start? So if you look at the word passion then there's an arrow taking passion and drawing it towards ownership, the point we're looking at right now is if I wanna create greater ownership in me to whatever in life or others to whatever in life, you don't fixate on ownership. Ownership's a byproduct of the word passion. Because again, passion feeds ownership. Passion causes us to take ownership of our our clothes, our life, our car, our kids, our job, our whatever. So again, if we want to create joy, then I just gave two targets. Find out what people are best at doing, support and grow and develop them to do what you need them to do, and then get out of the way and let them do the things they love to do. Because when they do, it's going to create passion, which is going to cause them to take more ownership. So we spend a lot of time on passions, my point in this diagram, everybody. You know, how do we create passion? You know, cultural building experiences, you know, group hugs, whatever. So it's important to do that. But then one day I realized, wait a second, what creates passion then? If passion's what's causing ownership? So if you take in essence the word passion, circle that one and reverse the arrow back to six o'clock where the word motivation is, because again, remember there's already arrows in this little circle diagram connecting them all going clockwise. You're adding your new circle in reverse. So then I said, wait a minute, so what creates passion? Same two words. When you get to do, Cheryl, the things you love to do, that motivates you. When you get to interact with the people you like to be around, that that motivates you. And motivation creates passion. Passion causes you to be addicted to that thing that you took ownership of that started this whole conversation. While we do spend time on motivation, which is incentive programs or 401k or healthcare or paychecks or incentives or bonuses or whatever, and that's important, what I recognize, though, it goes back to those two words written down, do and people. We can If we can set people up for success doing the things they love to do, or we give them the skills, the training and development, so they're more, more confident and capable to do those things, and we create an environment by which people love to be around and they feed off each other, they'll be more motivated. That causes passion, that causes ownership. So then one day I said, wait a second, we've got this word over here at three o'clock we haven't talked about called victory. So if we circle motivation at the bottom of the page and point the arrow and reverse back to victory, that's where you can put number one in this diagram. The first step to joy The first step to success is actually the word victory. Because whenever you do something, there's the word do. Whenever you do something you're good at doing, you're going to be victorious. And whenever you're victorious, your self-esteem goes up. When your self-esteem goes up, look at six o'clock. Where's your motivation? Go up. Look at nine o'clock. Where's your passion? Go up. Look at 12 o'clock. ownership? You're going to look for more of those experiences or those opportunities to do that thing that you are victorious at doing. So the first step as a parent, as a leader, as a colleague, or anyone is to set yourself up for success and victory. So stop doing the things that you absolutely don't like to do, and you're never, truth be told, ever going to be gifted at doing it, and find those things that, that bring value to the planet that you can be, in essence, a contributor to, that you love to do, and you love the recipients the people that people are going to get it, and that will be an internal nuclear reactor of the word joy. Absolutely every time.
0: Who's taking time to do that, Dr. Jeff? I lots love of, business. of that. i I think they are I think they are and I think I think the sustainability of that may or may not be there what is your what is your what is your take on that The reason I ask is because we have this whole Chair chair of Joy process, and I don't know what all the practices are out in the the world. There are many, but this one, um, I think, gives a tool. The chair itself is a gimmick in workplaces where people can actually stop and pay attention to the do and the people and the passion to get to where they want to go. So.
1: Please. So I, love, I love the chair both as a metaphor and as a tool, and you call it a gimmick. Let me, let me, let me put it another way. So, so let's, let's put the word compliance into the conversation. So you work in an organization that has someone who's responsible for environmental health and safety. Uh, So we have the word compliance in that conversation, it means there's there's mentally and physically checklists of things we have to do and in a timely manner to do them and in an orderly manner to do them. And if we don't do that, there could be ramifications, whether that is a fine, whether that is termination of our job, whether that is someone gets injured or killed. So when you think of compliance, what we're kind of saying is that there's parameters as long as you stay within these two, anything up the middle is, is fine. So in lots of parts of our life, one of the ways that we hold ourselves accountable to being more... Uh, proficient, productive, profitable, successful. As we take a compliance approach to that, uh, I want to make sure I get the right groceries. I go to the grocery store. I write a list. That's in the spirit of compliance, and I take that list with me and I follow it. I'm going to drive from point A to point B, and I've never been there. I'm going to Google it, MapQuest it. I'm going to ask my phone. Uh, again, I don't know, you know, what 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 smartphone you and the visitors uh, today are use, but. Whoever that woman is inside the phone, she's the freaking smartest woman on the planet because when I ask her how to get from here to there, she always gets me there. That's compliance. So so, the, so the, choi, the the chair that you use for joy gives us a way to mentally stop and anchor, stop and see, stop and reflect. So it's just like compliance. So again, a business, how can we do it? So let's say your chair concept comes into a business, then that chair should should buy that chair. And then in essence, you have, a, a, you have the second one you bring out of uh, your warehouse and you use it for the next stop you go to. But that chair sits in the lobby. That chair sits in a break room. The chair sits in a hallway. The chair sits in, you know, out on the factory floor. So everyone that's been introduced to it now knows what that means. There's gratitude, there's appreciation. It reminds them of what it is that brings them joy, which then will trigger to what sort of value systems do I have? Because our values drive our mental visions of where we can go or what we can accomplish. Our values tell our behaviors, what they're going to do that people see. So when I see someone demonstrating uh, behaviors I don't like, well, the old me wanted to walk up and bonk them on the head. Then one day I realized, no, that's not it. You've got to you've got to go back and look at how they've been programmed to think the way they think that's driving them to have those behaviors. And unfortunately, today, we have a lot of people with very big mouths that are out there barking out on social media or in the news and everywhere else. And they're saying things that absolutely are not warranted, that are not justified. There's no logic behind them. But no one's been taught critical thinking skills to pose the questions. So they're being influenced to do things. And now we see behaviors that we go, wow, there's no joy to that behavior. That behavior doesn't bring us together. It pushes us apart. So I can even go off on social commentary tirade right, and bring that right back to today's conversation. Everything on the planet is connected to your chairs. Well, guess what I'm saying? You own the planet. <laughs> is that all? So
0: I would love for you to this. This I'm I'm envisioning the chair of joy out on the manufacturing plant floor. Right, that to me is the epitome of where we're going. So if you could just put your feet on the ground for just a second, we're gonna. This is what if you had the chair in your office, you put your feet on the ground. You look around at all the stuff that around, the people in the plant, you know, everything that's going on, and I and, and just take a deep breath. You get your time in the chair, right? So I'm gonna ask you, Dr. Jeff, take a deep breath, and I want you to tap on the most joyful moment that comes to mind. It can be anything, just real quick. Have you ever dropped your phone on the floor, on your face, or in some other embarrassing place? Don't you wish there was something you could attach to your phone case that would help you hold your phone so you don't have to, or at least as much? Introducing Steady Straps, a comfortable, adjustable, strong, elastic strap with 100% Velcro brand closures that helps you hold your phone more securely without dropping it and use it easier and faster, especially one-handed. It's the only smartphone grip accessory without adhesives and it's 100% wireless charging ready without having to remove or adjust it first. Check us out at SteadyStraps.com and order some today. Could be the birth of a child, could be when you were a young boy, something quick that popped up yesterday, anything.
1: The, the, well, from, from a work standpoint, when I could help someone and their face telegraphs it, if not they say it, if I can help someone and mentally sends me a signal that the light bulb went off on their head from something I've said or shown, that that light bulb goes off, that they see something with greater clarity or a way to be more effective or a way to serve and create legacy in what they do to someone else, That that's that's always my first answer because that guides my daily life.
0: Give me an example. I would like a specific example if you can. Someone specifically that that happened to.
1: Uh, so I have a lot of manufacturing uh, clients. So let's go back to what you set up on the on the manufacturing floor. When, when I uh, have a manager leader that leaves to go on vacation and they're highly stressed before they're leaving because they uh, have been, whether they realize they're not micromanaging every piece of the business and they leave and they call back on day two or day three. Uh, thinking there's going to be tons of questions everyone has for has for them and he or she then calls back and finds out everything is going fine and then they text me and go oh my goodness what you've been telling me to do and let go that I've been unable to do and not realize I'm now seeing what you've been telling me to do I've got a great team there are great people in the organization the only reason they can't joyfully move forward is either they've not been empowered they, they lack a confidence issue, which we can address, or they just don't mentally, physically have the tools to do that next step. So we can train and educate them on them. We can mentor them. We can we can support people in lots of ways if we back up and do this smart from step one. All right. And then on okay. a personal side, the same thing. When I get a chance just for me to relax, I mean, my, my therapy is go out for a drive. Put the roof down, go out for a drive. You know, I live in the desert, which is absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. And I never thought that I'd ever say that growing up in the Rocky Mountains, Uh, But again, sometimes joy is just personal time. Joy is being able to decompress. Again, don't let someone else tell you what joy should be. Um, You know, in my book, Your Trajectory Code, chapter six, I talk about life balance and what balance really means. And there's nine areas of our life from which we're going to live in ebb and flow in and out of our entire life. And these nine life forces that we use in psychology, sociology, life coaching, you know, your religious elders, we all talk about the same nine, change a word, it's the same nine, but understanding those nine is how you're gonna have balance and your your life cycle wheel can be in balance and someone else looking at, them, they may think it's out of balance. And that's the whole point. Yours is yours, theirs is theirs, and don't try to live someone else's recipe. Wow, how many words per
0: minute do you talk? That's insane.
1: <laughs> I know, pretty slow, I apologize.
0: I'm going to watch this back uh, in slow motion, but thank you for that. So, so well, just that's a- an
1: example of joy right there. Think about when when you get a chance to do the things you love to do Yay. and share and interact with the people you love to share, you, Cheryl, that yes. gets you excited. I mean, and when you're excited, your energy increases. And if you happen to be a type A personality, you're already going fast. You, you probably shouldn't be drinking Starbucks. You should be taking some Valium. And there's your other clue to joy. People that, you know, can't wait to go to bed and don't want to get out in the morning. I mean, they have no joy. They need to recalibrate the word doing the world people and they'll get me back into life.
0: Awesome. So let's just finish the chair joy experience. You're out on the manufacturing floor. You sat down for a minute. You put your feet on the ground. You took a deep breath. You thought about, Hey, my team's great. You know, (laughs) excuse me. I went on vacation and everybody did what they were supposed to do. That's a joyful moment. And then something personal. I went out for a drive, you know I remember the fresh air and the mountains and da 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 So for I'm gonna call those your two moments of joy. If you could find one connecting word for doing what it is that you love and, and maybe you know connecting with that manufacturer and going out for a drive, what would be the, that word, Jeff?
1: For me, the word is alignment. Another popular word today is called purpose. You know when, when okay. you can find more purpose connections between you know your list and someone else's list, you're going to align faster, better, deeper, longer. So for me, what's the alignment? The alignment is seeing proficiencies. The alignment is seeing productivity. The alignment is seeing profitability. The alignment is seeing, you know, legacy, the alignment. So again, it's purpose and alignment. And the more that those happen anywhere in life, that's where real sparks of success uh, and joy happen.
0: So alignment for you is joy and joy is alignment, right?
1: I like the way you phrase it.
0: So if you could speak to these CEOs that are listening right now, and there are thousands, and it's just say you got off a plane in LaGuardia and there are 100,000 of them on the platform there waiting to hear you speak, which you do so eloquently, Thank what you. would you say to them about not, they don't get this thing, this joy equals alignment and alignment e- equals joy? What would you say to them? What do they have to get for the productivity, for the profitability, for the legacy, for the purpose?
1: So generationally, all of our grandparents, whatever that age is, they grew up in an era where it was almost cradle to grave with the same business. Whether you liked the job or not, you did it. And so all business models were built around that, that I have Miss Lynn with me. She's going to be here for 20, 30, 40 years. I just hired this, you know, Jeffrey character. He's going to be with me for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. Then all of our parents, they grew up in a world where, no, that wasn't what drove them. So they might've stayed in the same industry, but they might've changed employers multiple times. They might've even moved you geographically once or multiple times today's workplace they may come to work just for you for the rest of their life so we may get that And the in the power and in in, in in positive to that is you know tribal knowledge institutional knowledge if i get you and train you and you understand how our systems work and our technology and our people and our customers i mean there's a lot of profitability wrapped around someone who has a has a clue in the organization and they right. share that horizontally with their peers and vertically with bosses and new hires so now, now with that stage of people, I would say, so with that mentality, we have to recognize people are no longer gonna come to you just for a paycheck. They may right now just need a paycheck, but that's a short term mentality and that's the worst person to hire. So you're no longer gonna get someone to come here for 20 years, whether they hated the job or not, the way our grand or great grandparents worked. And you're probably not even gonna get someone who's gonna stay here a chunk of your like maybe our parent. So what the way you capture their heart, mind and soul goes back to joy and alignment, therefore, You have to be very clear on your values as an organization. Be very clear on the avatar, the customer you serve, because you can't be all things to all people. And we're not trying to be mean, rude, and disrespectful. But some people you have to politely disengage from. Some people you may have to probably say, look, I appreciate that you would like my company to be doing A, B, and C, but that's not what it's about. We're about X, Y, and Z. And if we start doing A, B, and C, we're going to ruin our X, Y, C. We're going to cease to exist, and then no one wins. So with all due respect, no, you go worry about A, B, C, I'm X, Y, C. Then you take it to the next level. That business that's clear with its values, then it will be able to recognize what is its deliverables or deliverable systems to the marketplace, and then it can connect with people and say, "This is what we're all about." And we would like to invite anyone on the planet because now virtual workforce is is, is a piece of the traditional I'm here face to face workforce. So then you invite people to be a part of that. You know, we're about a community of fill in the blank. What are you about? You know, we are a group of electricians who want to work by themselves and go to your house or your business and do the job. However, we don't want to have to worry about the back office and marketing. So we're going to form a business, an association, uh, an ESOP and, and Cheryl, you know, we'll make you the president and you worry about all the administration. You hire someone to do all the marketing. So every morning I just have to wake up and I've got a list of, of work to go do because what brings me joy is not making sales calls, not doing marketing, not doing social media, not doing accounting. Accounts payable or receivable or billing or invoicing or inventory. What makes me excited is to drive my vehicle to your place, get out and play with wires all day. Perfect. If I could give you the opportunity to play with wires all day, would that make you happy? Oh my God, hire me right now. And that's it with every job, whether it's a machinist, whether it's on a farm in agriculture, whether it's in a plant, whether it's in a factory, whether it's in an office, whether it's virtual or traditional, if we can can align people to what they really want to do and find jobs for that, no one gets a free pass then everyone would become a contributor. Everybody, retired people. Retired people still want to do fill in the blank. They may not wanna work a 40 hour work week, but imagine someone who was you know, uh, in writing their entire life, whatever job that might've been. And now you know they would love to teach creative writing classes in K-12. And we say, we're gonna give you an opportunity to teach, to teach K-12 and you're bringing your 50, 60, 70 years of life wisdom to that classroom. Wow imagine the the development of that child, that young adult in that environment, as opposed to, and with all due respect, there's some phenomenal teachers out there. But there's a lot of teachers, truth be told, if they had to actually take a macro test on what they're supposed to be teaching, they would fail miserably.
0: I would love for you to dive into the next next conversation with all of your knowledge and experience from all of your life, because I've asked this a bunch of different ways and I'm not really getting a clear answer. But if you were to take what you just said and how people develop their values and their joy and all the things that you mentioned, me starting in the chair of joy, what's possible for for the globe as far as racial injustice and food insecurity and disparity? Like, what if we did that and we gave that ooey gooeyness to to people all over the country, Every
1: problem on the planet can be solved today if, I've already given the answer, two words. If we have the right people in the right place that really want to do, it needs to be done. The problem we have on this planet is not necessarily people per se on the street, let's say. It's our our political leaders in every country. Some of them are great people that really want to do good things and they want to help other people. There's my two words. But -hmm. truth be told, we become, in essence, very much closed into our own shell. I'm a Democrat, you're a Republican or I'm a Republican, you're a Democrat, or you're a socialist, I'm an independent. And once we get in that camp, we are unwilling to look at what anyone else, people want to say or do, do. And so that gets us into trouble. So if we back up and say, wait a second, what's the end point? Do we want to address, in essence, polio? There's our grandparents. Our grandparents wanted to eradicate polio on the planet in the last century, and they did. It was gone. The reason polio is coming back is because we've allowed people to not do what they need to do, which is to get the vaccination. And so when you stop vaccinating, problems come back. When you stop educating, dumb comes back. When you stop holding people accountable, you'll have more people off the rails. When we stop teaching real history instead of revisionist history, then history will repeat itself. I just gave you four examples of why we don't address these real things on the planet. So again, come back to it. We could fix every problem on the planet. Let's go back to your factory floor. You're the shop leader. You're the business manager. You're the business owner. We have a product. that's made us money for years. It's ca- caused all of us to have our paychecks and lifestyles. All of a sudden, the need for that product is still there. But the, our product really isn't fashionable anymore. It's not really serving the need you know, because things have evolved. It's not as efficient as it used to be. So if we bring the team together and say, well, instead of me trying to solve this, guys, Let's unleash our creative juices. How can we do this differently? How can we tweak it? And then phenomenal things can come about. Think about it. McDonald's Corporation, if you go fast food for a minute, whether you like McDonald's or not, if you do a pie chart of the fast food industry, they're the largest piece of that chart. They own the market space. Well, the majority of all of their innovations, which are products today that they sell and we buy, again, whether you like them or not, the, the story still is valid. Were not created by bosses. The filet fish sandwich was created by an employee basically saying, hey, I've got a lot of Catholics in my area. They don't buy hamburgers on Friday. What can we do different? I mean, that's a you know that's a 40, 50 year old story there. You know, the, the Happy Meal, which every fast food restaurant does a Happy Meal concept. That came out of, again, an ad agency working for franchisees in Kansas City decades ago. Uh, uh, you know, the Chicken McNuggets. That came out of, in essence, again, franchisee, not the corporation. You know, then, then you got uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken saying, we're not going to do this nugget idea. This is stupid. Well, after they've lost billions of dollars of not being able to sell that product. Now KFC does that. So, this, so again, the KFC story is good company. Their creativity came by hijacking what's already in the marketplace and making it their side. McDonald's, they brought something new to the marketplace and that's back to you in that shop floor with your joy chair. So we can solve any problem. I'm a true believer we have the DNA. There's a more uh, macro answer to that, but we don't have time to talk about it here. Again, in my leadership training program, there is a finite formula that i have come up with called the Player Capability Index Model. I use it in my book, Your Trajectory Code. I use it in my college graduate textbooks. I use it in my leadership training programs with my clients called the Leadership Academy of Excellence. And that formula gives you a finite way to unlock the hidden DNA, people. So when you unlock that hidden DNA, then success converts itself. Absolutely, we can solve every problem. If we wanted to solve it, every problem can be solved. Because pretty much every problem that's out there, there already is a solution. It's sitting on the shelf right now. Just we don't want to bring it to the marketplace. You know, how do we create a vehicle that can, you know, drive hundreds and hundreds of miles on, on, on a gallon of gas? Or how do we make a, an electric car really work? I mean, these are not new things in 2021, two, three, four, we're talking about. I mean, you can go back decades ago, decades ago, these things had been invented and on the shelf. They weren't practical because people, people, whether they were business people or political people, they had a vested interest in not allowing that to come to the marketplace. So that's why the solution's not there.
0: You are a joyful human being, so one, I want to know how that happened, and two, how did you create that, and two, what's your legacy? What is the thing that we're going to say about you at the end of this
1: journey? Well, I hope my legacy is Jeff willingly helps. Jeff willingly wanted to help other people to be better than who they are, which does not mean anything that they were bad or negative or weak or or losers. Just Jeff, Jeff freely gave of his time to help people as much as he could. Uh, Jeff's a businessman. He's not stupid, but I freely, you know, try to bring that, that happiness through helping people to be better at what they're doing. And so that's one. Um, Why am I this way? I I don't know. You know, again, it's kind of like what came first, the chicken or the egg, you know, are leaders born or can it be created? You know, it's always those elements. So for me, I think it was a little bit of nurture and nature. It's the way I was raised. I had two great parents who did the best job they could for who they were at the time they were alive. Um, I've got phenomenal brothers and sisters. Each one took their own trajectory of where they went in life, and each one has done a phenomenal job with the decisions and choices they've made and where it's taken them. And I just kind of try to live in that same environment and same world of, of, of answers. So, great question. I don't think you try. I think you do. You are thank you very much.
0: successful at it. Um, what 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 would be the um, ask if you if you could? If you could give more of your teachings to the world and more coaching, how could we help
1: you? Very gracious. So my my training and development company is my name, just like it's there on the screen, JeffreyMagee.com. And so I have uh, you know, programs and deliverables there where I work with businesses, business leaders. My primary deliverable is leadership and sales. I grew up in sales. And so I actually make the major case that leaders have to understand selling, whether you're in sales or not. And COVID has uh, validated me quite nicely. So now I don't have to create all these historical studies. But every business in America, and even my clients, I've got clients in Germany and in London, in Canada, uh, in Bosnia, in you know, the Philippines, every business that has been successful during 2020, and 2021, somewhere in their senior leadership team, in their pedigree, people spend time in sales and marketing and client development. So I Mary cells and leadership together. So you can go to my website there. I do. I offer free articles and blogs. People can sign up there. Uh, I do. You know programs. Second uh, company I have is a media company, and it's professionalperformancemagazine.com. Professional Performance Magazine. I publish a magazine every uh, uh, quarter, and I get phenomenal personalities globally. Fortune 100 CEOs, uh, tribal Indian. Uh, heritage is a fascination of mine. So I always have a tribal Indian chief. I have military generals. I have professional athletes, uh, celebrities, New York Times bestselling authors, uh, a whole mixture of people that are very successful in their own right. And they share an article, 500, 1,000 words on success from their perspective uh, of their mental DNA that you can't find anywhere else on the internet except my magazines. So places where people can go to to find out more or to push themselves would be Again, buy any one of my books. Trajectory Code is, is my only personal success book I've ever written. I've written 31 books, translated into 21 languages, four legitimate bestsellers, four graduate management textbooks, only one personal development success book, your Trajectory Code. So if they want to get a, you know, get more of me, those are your two places, and those will be some of the resources. Uh, and again, if, if you are in an environment with your association, uh, meeting planner, convention, uh, you're a business owner, you want to take your human capital to the next level, that's where I live, and that's where I can help.
0: Well, I would love to invite you to be on the uh, Joyly Council of Joy. Joy, uh, World done. Done. Woo. I'm in. And uh, the chair of joy needs to have all those people that you are once valued would value all those people you just mentioned, like. We I believe that when we focus on what you're talking about, that people might start to get connected and they might start to hear each other through vulner- vulnerability and identifying their values. It's possible that even in our lifetime, Dr. Jeffrey, we can we can make some impact. We can create some some global shifts. And I would appreciate your support.
1: Absolutely. You know, and you can make those global shifts anywhere on, in your community or on this planet where you have people at odds. If, if you park those people in a room and said, I'm locking the door and here's the deal. You guys break bread and have three meals together for the next couple of days. And either you find ways to find common connection. In fact, maybe you have more in common than not, or you kill you, each other. You know, really, I don't give a crap. By the way, we're going to win. Because <laughs> I did that
0: to my kids when they were growing up. I did the exact
1: same know, <laughs> And it would work. And, and, and so the example is the Greatly Lehigh Coca, and they'll turn it back to you. I know we're almost out of time, but the Greatly I Coca changed the automotive world forever. So if you love Tesla today, you, know, you can you can thank Lee I. Coker for that, or Tesla wouldn't even be here. So whatever, Carpet. But Lee I. Coker, for those who don't know the name, there's your Google homework assignment. When he came into Chrysler Corporation decades ago, 1970s, it was on the brink of bankruptcy. So was the automotive world on the brink of bankruptcy. The U.S. economy was in major crisis. If the U.S. economy goes under, so goes the planet. Like it or not, that's a true fact. You know, the American currency is the global business currency. So when we lose that that position, then every American can wake up and say, wow, we really are freaking idiots. And we deserve the nightmare we're now going to be living. So again, you have to first identify what creates success and you don't detract from the model, you plus it. So Lee Iacocca said, you know what, men, men want vans, but they're not buying vans. Women want station wagons, they're not buying station wagons. All you engineers, I'm locking in a room base until you figure out a way to solve that need, don't come out. Well, that was the birth of the minivan. And so then Chrysler came out with a minivan, and then they came out with a K car, which was back to Henry Ford. You know, you can have any vehicle you want as long as it's a truck, Model T, or you have an automobile, Model A, and you can have any color you want as long as it's black, because that's all I'm going to make. Well, the point of that Henry Ford, when he started this whole industry, was automation, manufacturing, systematization, and we, in essence, become, in essence, more successful because we're duplicating and replicating the one basic model for success. So Lee I. cook went back to all of that. He took everyone back to basics, and then he came out with the first convertible car that you know wasn't being made. For many, many years, no one made a convertible. Well, if you jump forward then into the 80s, everyone started making convertibles and everyone started making minivans. So today, every one of our viewers are driving, in essence, an SUV because you want to be cool. Well, guess what? That's nothing more than an evolved minivan. So enjoy it. Thankfully, I for your SUVs because those would have never have come about if it wasn't for that. So again, you can, you can trace some of what we love today backwards to what really was the impetus to get it to go again. And, and that was joy. And that was success. And that was unlocking people's ability to think outside the box.
0: That gives me so much hope. I'm going to put the chair of joy in the room and lock the, the boardroom door and just let people f- hammer it out. I think it, that's brilliant.
1: I it love is. I and mean, we spend too much time fighting over what really at the end of the day is asinite issues.
0: So the, the chair of joy concept and the takeaway uh, from this interview, Dr. Jeffrey, anything you'd like to leave us with?
1: You own your joy. If you're having a terrible day, go home and smile and say, wow, I started out to have a crappy day and I had one. Isn't that a joy? And if that's not happy, then make it something. You choose which road you drive down, you choose how you leave where you live if there's more than one way to drive out of your living area to the store or to work. You choose how you get dressed in the morning. You choose how you talk to people or not. You choose who you avoid and who you can engage. You choose who you ask success questions to or who you shut down. So you make the choice. Enjoy it.
0: That's it for us on the Joyly Podcast. We are going to hear a lot more from Dr. Jeffrey McGee and the World Council of Joy. And uh, as we move forward into the world with the Chair of Joy, looking forward to connecting with you again, Dr. Jeffrey. Thanks for being on the show.
1: Thank you all very much. Bye-bye.